lesbians in the future who are battling an oppressive society of evil clowns that come from a dildo-shaped planet. Radio Drone. Thursday nights are a complete waste, and this is going to be another one of those. I'm Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Cecil. Howdy. See, you got a the this week. I feel... There's only one of you. There is only one of me. And then we have N. Alex Jowski. No, there is actually only one of me, man. I Google my name. There's no, no other Alex Jowski in the world. I'm proud of that. Well, all right. Then how about be proud of not screwing up the Adam and Eve promo? Go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME. You get 50% off a single item, free shipping in the United States, three free DVDs, and a free mystery gift for using the promo code DROME. Let's talk about independent filmmaking. What actually started me thinking about this was... Tell me if you guys see something funny about this quote I'm about to read here, okay? There was recently a petition brought to change.org called Stop Making Indie Films. I'm going to read you the petition, okay? Our goal is 5,000 signatures. We believe if we can convince enough aspiring filmmakers to give up their dreams, the industry will become solvent again, returning to a thriving and viable state. Film critics and audiences will no longer be overwhelmed by the glut of mediocre indie productions, while the truly inspired and talented filmmakers will easily be discovered and embraced, able to receive the wide acclaim and financial gain they deserve. Distributors, theater owners, tastemakers, as well as audiences and critics will delight in having far fewer films to choose from. Note, if you are an indie filmmaker with commercial promise, please continue making films and do not sign below. This list is made for mediocre filmmakers who would otherwise be clogging up the indie arteries with undercooked, half-assed, or no-budge productions. This includes anything small-scale, anything personal, of course all, mumblecore, and most other work with developing visions. In other words, if you don't already have your artistry perfected, don't sign up. Thank you, former indie filmmakers. Please spread the word to your talentless filmmaking friends. Unquote. Obviously! Anger! Yeah, obviously this is satirical, right? This is so clearly meant as satire. The uh, independent film industry did not read it as such, Alex. The independent film industry did not read this as satire, and they jumped on this with how dare you, and you're asking people to give up their dreams, and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's what I took it as. I mean, that that was pretty bad satire. I wouldn't be surprised if you tossed that up there as satire, Josh. And seriously, did they use the word mumblecore in that? (laughs) Yes, they did. Well, that's not Mumblecore, a type of movie. That's a Mumblecore, fucking type of music. Not, well, Mumblecore, unfortunately, is a thing. What the hell is Mumblecore, then? I mean, I know it is like a type Mumblecore, of music. Uh, drinking Buddies is considered Mumblecore. You can look at, look up, like, do a Wikipedia search or something, and they can probably explain it a little better. It boggles my mind that it's even a thing. And, and I'm like, it doesn't even make sense. Like mumblecore, yeah, is is a, is a freaking is music. It's or you know, crappy music, but music nonetheless. It's not it's it's not a, a way of making movies. But for some reason, they consider this branch of ad libbed independent films. They call them mumblecore. 
Obviously, it was satire. Why do you think so many indie filmmakers got so worked up over it? I would hope that it's satire, but... uh... It is. It was complete satire. It was meant to be funny and call out the people that are saying like, oh, all indie film sucks and blah, 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 which we'll get to more in a little bit. It was clear satire. Why do you think it hit people in the wrong testicle? Maybe because of the same way that uh, the Stephen Colbert thing that's going over right now. Oh, where... the, the Ching, Ching Chong Ding Dong thing? Ching Chong Ding Dong thing, where that was clearly satire and a bunch of people didn't understand it and now are calling for his show to be canceled. It's it's kind of the same thing, is that people, they they look at things at face value and they're not seeing the obvious... If it's uh, on the internet, it's true. Yeah. And uh, also, uh, look... I love independent films. There are so many great independent films and so many talented filmmakers that got their start doing indie films that have moved on and are doing bigger things now. There are a lot of indie filmmakers, Harmony Kareen, who smell their own farts and just think that they are God's gift to film. Lars and as Lars Montreer. And as such, they probably read this and just immediately took it as an attack. And so consequently went on the counterattack instead of realizing this is clearly satire. Well, okay, real quick. If the petition had just said no more Harmony Korean movies, I'd have been fine. But the fact that this thing is like no more independent movies ever. We want to hand job the studio system. No, and, it said no know, more and... bad independent films. It said if you're a good indie yeah. filmmaker, keep it. That was the joke. That, that's how it was clear it was satire, Alex. No, I didn't even see that as satire. I'm like, oh, fucking pick and choose because you like Tarantino, who's a fucking sellout, and you know, I was, oh. Okay. Yeah, that petition hit me in both of the wrong testicles, okay? All right, I thought it was funny. We have of course to ad- you would. We have to admit that independent film has changed a lot over the years, both in terms of quality and how they get made. It seems like we we go to this guy all the time without meaning to, but Charles Band was on a podcast recently talking about how there is absolutely no way that he keep making full moon movies the way he did even into the late 90s, let alone how he did in the Empire days, that the internet has hurt independent film more than it's helped it, specifically on the fact that you can't make money anymore because of the internet. For example, the documentary Screaming in High Heels, The Rise and Fall of the Scream Queen, that movie cost about twenty to $25,000 to make. They have to make all of that back on DVD, which they're not. The filmmaker, Jason Callum, he he said he used to be able to, when he was making earlier films, you'd be able to sell them to HBO or Cinemax or something, get 20, 30 grand. All he could make here, 3,000 bucks from Chiller. That's it. So that's not even a third of his budget. And that's all he can do for TV. He's like, Netflix was offering even less than that. So he's like, I only had the small amount of $25,000 for a budget and I can't even come close to getting my budget back in sales. This thing's never going to play in a theater. Netflix doesn't pay for their movies. Netflix buys their movies in bulk. And when you buy in bulk, you don't pay much. Other independent filmmakers have come out and said, like, yeah, we spent $100,000 on the movie. We got, like, two grand from Netflix. Yeah, it's good exposure. We're not making any money. So do you think the Internet has made it harder for an independent film to recoup its budget, even if the exposure is better? How exactly is, and I, and I know the answer to this, but 
how is the asylum still in business then? Because they're cranking out movies now, uh, you know, upwards of a million to two million dollars, and they're still turning a very nice profit. They figured out the angle to go with. Now, I'm not saying that independent films should follow the asylum. In a strange way, Cecil, I don't even consider the asylum to be independent films. When you're putting two million dollars into a film, I don't consider that an independent film anymore. To me, if, you, started... if your film is over a million dollars, you're not an indie. And they are a studio, the same as Miramax was in the 90s, back when they were called indie. And they were making movies that had $15 million budgets, and they were called an independent distributor. And I'm like, no, that's not independent then. You have financial backing. You, you have an infrastructure. You have a distribution set up. To me, the asylum's not independent, Cecil. Okay. Well, I mean, still, they started off with, you know, $25,000 budgets, and they kind of grew from there. And now they're making, you know, $2 million, not $2 million movies all the time, but $2 million when they think they can warrant it and get their money back. As far as independent people doing startups and then trying to find distribution and whatnot, unfortunately, yeah, it is more difficult because the landscape has changed. But the thing is, there's going to be that growing period and there's going to be that awkward time when stuff is just going through an overhaul i mean the music industry went through it and they survived and are thriving and bands have found ways of selling their music directly to their fans and keep going that way and now with the distribution of movies being different uh it, it just kind of is going through sort of i don't want to say a renaissance but like an overhaul Things are just changing, and unfortunately right now, it is a little bit more difficult to get your movie out there and to make a profit because there's so much competition, and when you have things like Netflix and Amazon that don't want to pay as much, you're going to kind of get stuck in the middle. But then you're going to get the huge explosion like with the original Paranormal Activity, which was 15 grand and went on to you know make... That's, that's you know, the exception, not the rule, though. It's not the exception, but the thing is, it still is possible. It's a very small possibility. Well, yeah, but so is anything. So is any modicum of fame. It's just you kind of have to – I mean, why are we all doing these kind of things? We're, we're doing them in the hopes that we have that one hit that takes off, that takes our name and makes it into a household name. Or we take our creation and makes it into a brand. I'm with Cecil on the fact that it is a period of transition business model is changing and you either change with it and succeed or you stick to the old ways and not. If your goal is like, well, we're going to make this movie and Netflix will give us $2,000 and hopefully that's enough exposure to sell some DVDs, well, that's a setup for failure. A lot of people are finding many new and creative ways to market their movie outside of just Netflix and earn back their profit. But on that note then, Alex, you've got that, that's forcing the budgets lower to be able to make a profit. You can't no. even make a dollars $200,000 movie anymore without some kind of guaranteed distribution deal because if you're just relying on selling DVDs or hoping that you'll get your money back, you can't do it. You, you can't pay back your investors, which means people are only willing to spend 25000 bucks on it because eh, that's a doable make back. Unless you become the next paranormal activity, you are not going to make back your $100,000 investment anymore. 
which forces the budgets lower and lower and lower on indie films. No, no, you're not going to make back your $100,000 if you're like, well, we'll put it on Netflix and then it'll sell DVDs. Because if you put your hopes on that, no. You have to come up with new ways to distribute, new ways to market, and people are still figuring out those new ways. So it doesn't drive down budgets. It spurs creativity. It spurs creativity for people to come up with new ways to model the market. Yeah, uh, it's uh, unfortunately it's uh, an adapt or die situation. Either you come up with a, a, ver- a way of taking your creation and the budget that you have that you um, think that you can recoup, make the movie, and try to find some sort of distribution model. A lot of them, what they'll do is they will you get their budget, make the movie, and we'll just hit the uh, the film circuit, and we'll just play it at the uh, the various festivals and get a nice buzz going, and eventually uh, somebody will will they win enough awards and get the right amount of attention and people dig it. The right people see it, they buy it, they distribute it, and then you've got your hit on your hands and you get your budget to make your next film and kind of move on from there. So that, that's an idealized version of what what could happen. That's not what does happen to most independent films nowadays. Most of them lose far more than they're than they ever get back. And that's why you'll notice there's in the last decade or so, there's been a lot of one time filmmakers. It's kind of the same thing that happened in the 70s with the drive ins. The drive ins were so popular and lucrative that you'd have these one time filmmakers. They'd put $100,000 into a film, and if you hit right, you could make $200,000 opening weekend. And then, but you saw some people that lost everything and they went and just never made a film again. What you're looking at is the idealized version of it, which I don't think is going to happen to to most of these films are not going to have that happen. For one thing, VOD is not even an option anymore. Like for instance, back in the early nineties when when videotape became so integrated into the American cinema, you could release anything on video and make back your budget within a month or two. Nowadays people are VOD is so clogged Howard Cohen, co-president of Roadside Attractions, said people are dumping movies onto VOD at an insane clip. What's happening is you got you got a VOD menu and you have to go through 20 pages just to find the damn title you're looking for. It's quickly becoming saturated with crap. What he's saying is there is so many people out there wanting to do what you just suggested, Cecil, that this is going to work if I try it hard enough. But when there's 100 of those and only two of them are going to make it, that leaves 98 of those that are going to lose everything following a dream that is unattainable because they refuse to look at the facts that this business model does not work. If that's your only business model, it does not work. I mean, there's other ways to promote a movie than, well, let's put it VOD and hope that people watch it. You know, there's several different ways you can promote a movie. It's just, it allows, it's a... People need to start becoming more creative in order to make their budgets back. They can't use the old model anymore. Like you mentioned the drive-in theaters in the 70s. Well, people overcame that. They found new solutions. And same with when videotapes became so oversaturated. Full Moon was about to go under then, and they still found new solutions. And the same thing's going to happen. People will find new solutions to make the movies profitable instead of just dropping the budgets. 
And see, I, I'm not so sure I agree with you on that. Again, going back to Charles Band, there's a reason that he doesn't charge per movie on his website anymore. That it's 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 not oh I'll pay 99 cents to watch Trancers. It's no, you pay 15 bucks a month and you get you know a, a rotating stream of a hundred movies that you can watch as much as you want. He said basically you can't sell a movie anymore. That Netflix has so altered so altered low-budget film that people will not pay f per movie anymore. They want, I want to pay for the month to just watch whatever I want when I want it. And VOD has started to see that too. Prior to Netflix becoming so integrated into the film industry, VOD was doing great. But now VOD numbers and what they're paying for VOD is falling and falling and falling because people are like, well, why should I pay $2 to watch this movie when I can pay a little bit more than that and watch thousands of movies. In, in a weird way, I get Netflix opened up accessibility to more movies, but it may have murdered the making of these movies or the ability to make the profit on these movies at the same time. I think Netflix does more damage to the, indie, to the independent film industry than it helps, even if they won't admit that. No, it, the the thing is, if if the movies, if they only charged like two bucks a film, then they would definitely be getting a lot more views. The problem is a bunch of them are anywhere from five all the way up to like $15 for a video on demand rental. I'm not going to rent a movie for $15. I might consider renting one for five, but you got to hit that sweet spot of somewhere Three bucks, I think, is like the good because, I mean, that's what you would go to the store and, you know, pay to, to rent a film. If you want to buy a digital copy, that's a different thing, although I don't entirely understand the buying a digital copy of a film for 20 bucks when you could go and, and buy a physical copy of it for 10. But uh, that that's a whole thing unto itself. They need to figure out a correct pricing structure that people are willing to pay for video on demand, and then that will go back to making them money. They have to understand that, of course, a larger budget movie, you're going to get more people paying a different amount of money for. But when you have a smaller independent film that not a lot of people have heard of, more people are willing to take a chance on it. Uh, I never heard of this movie before, but they only want, uh, you know, they only want, say, three bucks to, to rent it. I'll give it a shot. You know, but if you say, oh, well, this this independent film I never heard of before is seven bucks to rent it. Well, you're not going to get anybody to rent it because people are just going to turn their nose up at that. Because, like you said, they could pay a little bit more and have the a la carte thing from Netflix. As far as the changing of the model, they just there has to be some sort of headway. There's got to be a way that. Uh, this all works because the Netflix model is not going away. It's become too ingrained and people want it. And I personally think it's great. I've actually discovered way more independent films this way because there's a lot of times I'm up late in the middle of the night. I can't watch it. You know, I, I can't fall asleep and I'm flipping through, you know, what's what's in the new releases or what's in the horror section. I'll stumble upon something that looks and sounds kind of cool. I'll check it out. And I enjoy it, and I might not have seen it otherwise. I'm with Cecil that the Netflix model is good <clears throat> the way it is. I also have discovered lots of independent films and many movies that I would never have found otherwise. Like I said, the, it's great for discovering these, but if you're the independent filmmaker, that discovery doesn't mean shit 
if they only paid you back a tenth of your budget for it and you've got to try to pay back your investors or you're going to jail. Well, yeah, that's why you have to come up with other options than just Netflix for your movie. Like, for instance, Netflix doesn't have features for the movies. You know, you want people to watch the movie on Netflix and want to buy the DVD, you know, sell the DVD, put some features on it, get, give people a reason to also go out and buy the DVD, you know, th things like that. I mean, there's more than just Netflix. It's the fact that people are like, well, Netflix is only going to give us 2000 We're f***ed. I mean, those people are f***ing stupid if that's their only option. It tends to be because the the video distributors and now obviously it, you can always make your own DVDs, sell them through your own website, but that drives the price up as well. There's no one who is truly independent making their own DVD and selling it through their own website that can have a DVD that's less than $25 just because of printing costs and pressing the physical copy, shipping, etc. Whereas even in the 90s when you had the distribution model of video – the distributor picked up all that, but the distributors don't want to pay for anything anymore. Like I said, you could have spent $100,000 on your movie, and the distributor's like, five grand, I'll give you five grand for it, and you're kind of, that's the best offer I've gotten. I got to take the five goddamn grand and take a $95,000 loss, because the, the model has changed, but unfortunately, there's not a better model out anymore, because Alex, you keep saying, find another way, find another way. There isn't one. Physical DVDs have dropped almost 70% in the last five years from streaming. People are not willing to buy the physical DVD anymore. TV's not paying for anything. Streaming has killed independent film. Netflix has murdered it in its sleep. I'm Shout just Factory would like and hate old, new things. I want the old. Shout Factory would like to have a word with you about uh, DVDs and Blu-rays not selling. Doesn't they're still not selling as much as they did five years ago? Still able to be able to keep a consistent, you know, profit and keep expanding every year. Their their list of movies that they've got coming up for this summer is absolutely ridiculous. So obviously they're making enough money that they can continue to steamroll this and keep buying new productions keep creating new materials and keep re-releasing all these amazing old features and updating them and getting them out there. People want this stuff. I think the problem is, is that there are a lot of independent films that suck, that absolutely suck. They're terrible. And there's a reason why they can't find any decent distribution for them because they're just not good. There's now, also that glut thing we talked about. The glut thing we talked well, about is also a factor. There are so many films out there right now that are looking to be distributed like that, that for every hundred, maybe ten get picked. It's, well, it's an unfortunate side problem with side effect of the business. There is just a lot that's being created. And unfortunately, not all of the best stuff always gets recognized. I mean, how many films out there are genuinely really good independent features that should have major distribution but don't? But then something like Birdemic strikes a chord. It's a terrible film, but it ends up kind of becoming its own thing and goes off and becomes a hit in spite of itself. Uh, if you in the early two, actually late 90s, early 2000s, when this is going off on a slight tangent, but it'll make sense in a minute, when hip-hop was really taking over and rock and heavy metal and all that stuff was going away and you had all these bands that used to do arenas in the Amer in the u.s and now they're doing clubs 
they were broke. And then they found, hey, you know what? There's a market in Europe. And now you've got these bands that over here in the U.S. would play a bar, but they're selling out to a 70,000 person arena in Europe. So they found a way to continue. And independent films need to find a way to continue. The reason Shout Factory has been thriving and keeps selling DVDs is because they sell DVDs that are desirable. They sell them. They put features on them. They make it to where you want to own this. Yeah, I know you don't buy DVDs anymore because of streaming, but you want to own this one. They s promote it. They sell it. They get you sold on it. The reason Charles Band is complaining about, well, you know, it's just Netflix. No one is buying DVDs anymore. It's because his movies suck. Nobody wants to own Evil Bong 2 on DVD because it's a piece of shit. Well, speaking of that, then there's also the fact of, and you guys know I'm a trauma fan. I love Lloyd Kaufman, but the trauma model in the last couple of years has been, we need product. Doesn't mean, doesn't have to be good product. Doesn't even have to be acceptable product. We need product. And that's From, how come they pick up bullshit like Jessica Rabbit? Nope. Oh. Yes. And, and, and that's the thing. I know the guys who who made Blood Junkie for Troma, and they're, they're shopping around Billy Club right now. I mean, they're not good friends or anything. They're not my close personal friends. I'm not delusional or schizophrenic, but I, I've, I know them. They're like Troma bought the movie Sight Unseen. Oh, it's a horror movie called Blood Junkie? All right. They didn't even care whether it was any good. It was just, it's a movie. We need to release something this month. We'll buy it. And I think that also hurts independent film because it says... You don't even have to attempt a good movie. There's always trauma. And you know, guys know how much I love trauma. So that it hurts me to see that trauma's kind of gone to pot. The difference with trauma is they've built a community of fans. They've People buy a trauma movie not because, you know what? Blood Junkie looks pretty good. They buy it because they have trust in the brand of trauma. Because they're part of the trauma community, you know, they'll, they'll trust trauma, and Lloyd Kaufman is a Even when trauma releases something like Jessica Rabbit. Yes, it's still, you know, people are going to buy it because it says trauma. So trauma is beyond just being, we're a, a company that makes movies on DVD. They're like, we are trauma. They've, they've fostered a community. They've made their niche. They've cut out a piece of the pie for themselves. They've promoted themselves. So that's the difference. But I, I think you're missing my point that they'll pick up anything right now. That it doesn't matter if it's any good. Doesn't that dilute then this brand that they've worked so hard to to bring about? Doesn't that doesn't that hurt them when they release garbage like Jessica Rabbit with talentless like Elska McCain? Yeah, but you know what? Troma gets motivated about it. They they know it's crap or they haven't even seen it and don't know it's crap or not. But they get motivated about it. They get out there and convince people that you want to buy this movie. And that's a huge problem that why people are upset about, oh, streaming's ruined everything. Because they're expecting people to discover the movie on their own. They're not doing any of the work of promotion. They're not convincing people that you want to see this movie. You want to go out and buy this movie. They're just expecting to be discovered. There's Yeah, there's a glut of movies on there. You need to... Tell people why you are better than the rest and, you know, you're going to find our movie right here. You need to direct people to this and make them want to watch it. And that's exactly what Troma does. They sell the hell out of this stuff. I mean, you can't even have a normal conversation with Lloyd Kaufman about movies because everything you mention, he's going to turn it around and sell you a Troma movie out of it. 
Troma, they're they're out there. They're pushing hard. They're going to the cons. They're having uh, toxic cosplayers. They're having sexy girls out there saying, you want to watch Poltergeist. You want to buy Poltergeist. And it's working because Troma continuously keeps going. They keep become they keep staying relevant and they keep turning enough of a profit that they can keep going. And okay, yeah, so they But doesn't bought- that speak badly that they're releasing crap that maybe even ten years ago Troma would have never released? Because at the, at this point, from what I understand of the Troma business model is we need product. It doesn't need to be good, but we have to release something this month. Find us something. You know, there are a lot of people that will look at the Toxic Avenger and consider it crap on par with something like Jessica Rabbit. So they're selling to a certain kind of audience. And there are people that are going to get some of their crap and laugh. Oh, God, it's another trauma film. Oh, let's watch it. This is awful. And and they'll enjoy it, even though it is clearly garbage. So uh, trauma, in, in a weird way, they are they know exactly what they're doing and just uh, a a thing full moon going back to them is sitting on a gold mine that they're not dealing with. They have all of these classic movies that were huge in the late eighties and nineties. And they're very slowly releasing them on Blu-ray and a lot of them. I've actually pitched a couple of ideas that I think are pretty damn original to Charles Band personally, and he liked them. And the reason he didn't want to go with my marketing ideas, I don't have the capital to do it. I don't have the capital to 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 actually market these things properly. Yeah, but you know what? You want to get some cap. You want to get the capital. Take some of his classic franchises and remaster them properly in Blu-ray and add a crap ton of features, much which like costs how- money that he doesn't have. Well, then stop putting money into Evil Bong and Evil Bong 2 and movies that aren't that good, that are selling or being distributed in a very, very, very small numbers. Get enough money to put together a decent remastering. Do like how Shout Factory did and start small. Release, you know, one or two here and there. Build up. Start getting your uh, reputation back. People will start having faith in you again and then we'll start continuously buying your product and then maybe you can start making those films that you really want to make instead of movies that are shot in the offices when no one's around. Well, You also have something like, just the, the week we're recording this, the the trailer for Phantasm V, Ravager, came out. Obviously, it's just a trailer at this point, but it, it showed to me, to me, Phantasm V, Ravager is a complete example of why independent film is floundering today. This was a movie that was shot over the course of six years on prosumer equipment using goddamn After Effects for some of your opticals, if it looks like a blood effect from a Doug Walker video, it should not be in a film. That should not be in a goddamn Phantasm movie. So, I mean, you know, something like Phantasm Five is going to be one of those, one of these things is not like the others in this franchise. Kind of like Trancer 6, where you go, okay, we have absolutely no money but we've got this name 
and we want to rape it for a little bit longer. Now, obviously, we haven't seen Phantasm V. It could be a fantastic script. Fine. But it looks like crap. And from what I've read, they had no money for this. You have got a brand like Phantasm. You've got Don Coscarelli behind it, and you cannot find anyone to back this movie. What does that say about independent film? Phantasm's not as popular as one of the bigger franchises, like Friday the 13th or something. So there is going to be a little hesitance on an investor's part to, I haven't even heard of Phantasm. And the fact that the other films in the Phantasm franchise weren't very profitable. There's a reason they spent so many years since Phantasm 4, because it lost money. Unfortunately, uh, Phantasm, as much as I love the series, it just, it, it, it's not as popular. The, the depressing thing is if they wanted to remake Phantasm, they probably would have gotten at least $50 million. But because Coscarelli... That, that's just a sad thought. You take that back. Hey, is it true? Well, that's the, the thing. I, I Do I agree with it? No, I don't want a Phantasm remake. The Phantasm movies, they don't need to be remade. We need you know Phantasm 5. It's sad that they couldn't get the budget, but unfortunately you have a lot of people in Hollywood right now that they're only looking short-term and they're looking at things where, well, uh, how can we turn a profit on this immediately? And Phantasm, unfortunately, is not Friday the 13th. It's not Nightmare on Elm Street. And as such, they don't want to give them the budget that they would even coming off of doing john dies at the end thankfully uh you know went over really well because it was an awesome movie but it's so weird and unmarketable from a big budget studio standpoint that they could take that and be like oh well we did john dies at the end and they what oh, they probably would give them less money so unfortunately in a case like this they would have to go alternate routes to get it made. Honestly, if this was something that they were starting to do now, Coscarelli has, a, I think, a decent enough fan base that he probably could have put it up on Kickstarter and could have potentially made, I would say, at least a million dollars. Because I think when you're shooting a Phantasm movie on prosumer-grade equipment and using prosumer After Effects, you... You, you've you lost the point. Now, I'm going to get a ton of crap for what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think, especially when it comes to film, if you can't do it right, and this is just coming from my perspective, if you can't do it right, I'd rather not do it. If I, if I can't do it right, I'd rather not do it. If my movie needs $5 million to make it, I'm not going to attempt to make it on a million dollars and just go, ah, so the effects look chintzy and the sets are fake, but, you know, it, it's still the same movie. No, it isn't. To me, independent film is all in or all out. You either do it right or don't goddamn do it. And I know that sounds like I'm saying don't follow your dreams and all that. It's not. It's saying find a way to get the money. Find a way to do it right. Don't just say, well, we need a million bucks, but we've only got 100000 Let's just make the same script. No, it, it, it comes down to like the like Day of the Dead in 1985. Romero had this epic movie planned, and then they cut his budget, and he's and they said they told him just make it the same way, make the same script, even though it's a lower budget. And he's like, I'm not going to compromise my script like that. I'll rewrite the movie for this lower budget. Not I'm just going to make the movie that I wanted to and. Who You know, if people can see the wires, if they can see it, so what? To me, all in or all out. 
Well, now you're actually starting to sound like that that f***ing petition. You know, we only want independent movies that are made the right way the first time. I don't want to see half. No, no, no. Efforts. I'm I'm saying wait until you can do it right. You don't have to. Well, we've got the hundred thousand. We need of the million. Then find a way or make a different project with that hundred thousand that you can maybe make a profit on something more commercial to be able to get the million to make your movies. I'm saying don't half-ass it because, well, I got to work with what I got. Find a way to get what you need. So I'm not saying don't make it. I'm saying don't make it if you can't make it right. But weren't you the one just saying there is no way to do that when I was talking about, you know, find other ways besides Netflix? And he said there is no way. There's no it's way distribution-wise. No, there's no way distribution-wise. Now, depending on how hardcore you fall on your ideals, say you want to make a, a character piece about lesbians in the future who are battling an oppressive society of evil clowns that come from a dildo-shaped planet, okay? Obviously, you need money for that. Well, that's going to have a very limited audience. Now, on the other hand, you could take maybe the 100000 you've already got and make a movie about a vampire shark that the sci-fi channel will be interested in, that really will sell. Then you take the profits from Vampire Shark and make your lesbian dildo space clown movie. Well, I agree that people, you know, if you want your vision to look this way, you should find a way. And sometimes finding a way is working within your limitations. So you only have $100,000. You can do a lot with $100,000. If you wanted, you know, millions of dollars on your first time out to make your movie, well, you were being stupid and dreaming too hard Oh, that, that, that's arrogant yes that, there, yeah no that's doubt arrogant that that's arrogant i'm saying you can't write past your budget courtney gainer had this story in the 90s on a documentary called shock cinema this was you know in the heyday of the anything could get put out on video where he said he was he was told to write a sci-fi horror movie for a company which he wouldn't name and he's like okay what's your budget they're like just write whatever you want well, what's your budget? You know, I, I don't want to write giant space stations and space battles if you can't afford it. And they're like, just write it, just write it, just write whatever you want. We'll figure out how to get the money. And then he wrote it, and he's like, it probably would have been a two, three million dollar film in the 90s. They only had about $500,000, so they just half-assed all the effects. And he's like, oh, my name is attached to this. God damn it. You can't write past your budget. And that's what a lot of these films do. They just say, I can do the effects on the computer. Or, oh, no one's going to care if the makeup looks bad. They know that's supposed to be a zombie. This is not Ed Wood anymore. There's a certain quality level you can't dip below, but every goddamn independent film I see seems to dip below it and just go, they'll be forgiving because I'm an indie. And that's made by people that are just lazy. I don't even think it's like compromise. Those people are just goddamn lazy. Jessica Rabbit was lazy. But there are people that commit to their vision. I mean, you bring up the fact of Jason X all the time, how there was supposed to be that big battle like in Zero Gravity, but yes, they didn't have the budget for it, so yep. they just struck that line from the script. Is anybody complaining about that? Is anybody like, you know what? They should have had it at Zero Gravity. I mean, I don't see Todd Farmer going like, oh, man, they f***ed it up. They, they, oh. No, I mean, sometimes working within your budget makes for a better product. You do realize, too, you're you're getting upset about a teaser trailer that, uh, for, for all intents and purposes, the final product is not here yet. So I said that right up front. All we've seen is the trailer. Right, but I mean, but you're still going, going back to it. Now, maybe 
they did make some concessions to get the movie made, but you don't know if he altered the script in order to make it fall within their budget and make it work. This could be a really good movie. I've seen a independent film that cost $6,000 was shot on prosumer equipment. And it was one of the best films I saw of last year. So this movie could be really good. We don't know yet. It's uh, it's called the battery and it's uh, it's absolutely positively amazing. They did it for next to no money. And the beauty of it is they did the film circuit route. They filmed it over the course of a couple of years. Uh, I believe they filmed it over the course of a year. They took it to the film film circuit. They went to all these different places, and every place they went, they won awards. They got recognition. People noticed them. They did a bunch of uh, Ask Me Anythings on Reddit, and they got the word out that way. People were recognizing, oh, my God. And then they put it up on their website. It was five bucks to download and watch the movie, and People were watching it that way, and then because they had gotten so much notoriety, there was a buzz. Shout Factory bought the rights, and now they're currently working on uh, extras and whatnot, and they're going to have a DVD and Blu-ray set released later in the year. So there's a couple of guys, because the film was primarily done between two guys. And there's a couple of guys that put their heads together, made the movie that they wanted to make for not a lot of money, found a distribution deal, and are getting their product out there. Those are people that found a way to make the new model work for them. They weren't people that's like, well, we have to do just Netflix. Those are people that got others motivated to see their movie. They made a profit by putting themselves out there instead of just relying on the old model. I love independent film, but I also – but I – fall back on my there has to be a certain level you can't fall below you used to be able to make an independent film on a hundred thousand hundred and fifty thousand dollar budget shot on film that would have special effects that would have great acting it would have professional editing and you can't do that anymore the the industry has changed so much that you can't do that anymore the industry has changed to to two polar opposites really you've got Netflix and all that forcing the budgets lower, my opinion. You have forcing the budgets lower, and then you've got the studio system, which is just making the budgets bigger and bigger. Forbes had that thing about Avengers 2. Avengers 2, literally, they had they did all the math. Literally, Avengers 2 has to make a billion dollars its first week in theaters worldwide, or it will never make a profit. That is the polar opposite of this... Uh, 25 boxes or $25,000 is all we can spend because otherwise we're never going to make a profit. It, there doesn't seem to be a middle ground anymore in the nineties. And even in the seventies with the drive-in circuit, you could spend a million dollars on a movie and be able to rake that back in with the, within the first two or three months. You cannot do that anymore. Well, it's the industry also... has changed in a bad way. No, you can't do that anymore because it's 2014. It's not, 1975 anymore you evolve you adapt to how things change things will always change and you evolved in the wrong direction no it's 
as Cecil said before, you adapt or die. You want to keep marketing a film the way they did in 1975? You keep doing that and you'll make no money. You want to market a film the way a film should be marketed in 2014, you'll find more success. You change with the market. Yes, the market's going to change. The, the whole the system is always going to change. You have to change with it. Uh, I do agree with you that um, the Hollywood system needs an overhaul they're getting way too outlandish i mean a billion dollars a billion dollars like i said and and forbes did all the math that with a 450 million dollar budget and that's the above the line and then you've got all the below the line and the advertising costs and the print costs and all this that a billion dollars has to be made in box office sales within the first seven days or the movie you know with the you know average drop-offs will never make a profit I don't think Avengers 2 can make a billion dollars its first week. It will. You really think a yeah. billion dollars is, is attainable? The thing is, there's the, what the Avengers has, what the Avengers 2 has going for it is now, you know, Thor 2 came out and Captain America 2 and all these other movies building up to what's going to happen in the Avengers. So you've got all these movies that are blockbusters and they're leading up to the super blockbuster that everyone's going to go to see. I I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that it's going to make a billion dollars in the first week. Now, I do think that that kind of does set a bad standard for the industry because now all right well if if they need to make a billion dollars with avengers 2 well they're going to have to ramp things up for avengers 3 now they're going to have to make a billion and a half dollar you know the next time around i think that there has to be some kind of pullback to where it's like okay we're getting a little bit out of hand here with these budgets and instead of dumping all of our eggs into one basket, they do need to kind of dial it back a bit. But that's a whole other conversation. Do you think that that the way independent film is now and, and I'm I'm independent film is kind of a wide word. It's it's kind of a wide term really. Because you've got stuff like Snow Shark, which Alex and I reviewed on his show on, a, on an antisocial. You have garbage like that that was made for a relatively low budget. And then you've also got independent films that are coming out that are two three million i've heard a lot of people call the purge an independent film oh that's a multi-million dollar film how is that independent do you think the word the term independent film or indie film has changed dramatically since the let's just say the 70s it was obviously around before that but let's just say from the 70s to today do you think what an independent film means has changed or do you think just the standards within that industry have changed i think you're thinking way too underground instead of independent is that it's made outside of the studio system and some of the companies that are outside of the studio system happen to have built up a profit to where they can dump a few million into a thing lionsgate is still independent hell summit i believe is independent and they made the twilight movies those weren't you know, studio films, they're still independent, and independence still means the same thing that it did back then. You're thinking more of underground. You're thinking that somebody with $20,000 made a movie with no company. He had to make his own company to make this. That's that's underground. I think the perception has changed. People, they look at independent films as smaller budget when compared to the bigger budget things. So, I mean, it's 
to to us, four million dollars is a crap ton of money. But when you've got uh, big budget theatrical movies that are ramping up to two hundred million plus, then four million does seem like a smaller thing. So independent films are done by independent contractors and what uh, independent companies Hell, uh, Michael, outside Michael of Bay. The... Michael Bay quote was going back to his low budget roots with pain and gain Cecil pain and gain you know that 28 million dollar film that was his low budget film yeah but coming off of a movie that cost 250 million 28 is low budget Twilight was 37 million and that was an independent film yeah I think you're I'm with Alex. The uh, underground thing is more of, a, but still, it, but independent kind of covers a much larger spectrum. So when people say independent, they're thinking of everything from trauma all the way up to the purge. But then you, you've also had the way that the term independent film has sort of been misappropriated by the mass media. Let's go back to my Miramax example that I talked about earlier on the show. They started off as an actual independent. And then through a lot of – I mean like when they were releasing Tarantino stuff and all this, they were owned by Disney. That doesn't make them an independent anymore. I, I mean I kept throughout the 90s Miramax, the indie label. It's an indie label. It's owned by Disney. How is that an indie label? It's not run by Disney though. Disney was pretty hands-off with Miramax for the longest time. Yeah, uh, Disney didn't really meddle with the studios. It wasn't until the whole debacle with Dogma where somebody discovered that Miramax was owned by Disney and then a bunch of people started flipping out. Oh, you can't have this religious garbage under the Miramax label. And so then that's when they they left and they went to uh, Lionsgate. And so, yeah, it... um, I don't know. It, it's such a it's it's just a, a I mean, we're, we're going to go back and forth on this all night. I know I come across like a cinema snob, but obviously I love independent film. The exploitation films I love were almost all independent, but I'm just I, I see a difference in the independent films being made today. They're being made cheaper. And I don't mean budgetary wise solely. I mean, they're being made cheaper in how they look, how they come across and I'm going to go back to Alex's example because I think he made a good differentiation earlier. They come across lazier than they used to. Whether it's the 70s, the 80s, or the 90s, the, the films of the 2000s, the independent films of the 2000s and up come across much lazier. Like, like, like the filmmakers just didn't try as hard. And I, I'm sure I'm going to get a whole bunch of independent filmmakers calling me an asshole for that. But w- like I said, when you're releasing a movie that's got after effects from a Tigwatig video in it in your film. I don't care if it's a few frames. That's lazy. You can do better than that. You can. Streaming has made it easier for people that don't have a lot of money to distribute movies. So you're seeing a whole lot more movies than you did before. And it's the same proportion of crap to good movies. It's just that there's a lot more movies, so there's a lot more crap. Yeah, absolutely. There's just uh, there's so much more movies coming out on a constant basis that you're going to see a lot of crap and uh, you just kind of have to filter through and find the good stuff that's within there because there is plenty of really good 
independent or underground films. It's just you have to search for them a little bit harder now. Well, where can we find Alex independent means putting out crap because that's what I stand for, Jowski? That is not at all what I said, by the way. I know. Geekjuicemedia.com. Where can we find Cecil blah, 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 Trachtenberg? <laughs> you can find me at goodbadflicks.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. And you can find Josh Hadley, the arrogant jackass that I am, at geekjuicemedia.com as well as 1201beyond.com. And contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Try and have a good night, guys. Ready? Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.